All right, so we're continuing with the Freedom Project. And today I want to speak to you on an interesting subject that I believe is harming a lot of people today. The title of my message is Dealing with the Spirit of Rejection. Dealing with the Spirit of Rejection. During Ignite, I asked and I said, How many of you have experienced rejection in your lives? And so many hands went up. Almost everyone raised their hands when I asked that question. I'm going to split up this message uh, probably between today and next week. All right? But dealing with the spirit of rejection. Here's what happens in our lives. The enemy wants to wound you and me. Because he knows that when you are wounded, a wounded person is a person that's hurting. And how many of you know that hurt people hurt others? Hurt people do what? They hurt others. So the enemy wants to wound us. And a lot of those woundings take place when we are still young children. I'll explain to you probably next week different sources of wounding. But for now what's important to know is that we've all been wounded. And wounding is very subtle because sometimes wounding is intentional, but a lot of times it's unintentional. I ask many people, did your father love you? Did your mother love you? When I usually ask about the father, because it's what we call father wounds, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks' time. When I ask, did your father love you? People typically will say, yes, I know my father loved me. Then I say to them, did you feel the love of a father? And typically they'll say, you know what, I know my father loved me. Did you feel the love of the father in your heart? You know what, I didn't really. That's what they'll say. I didn't feel the affection. I didn't feel the love. But somehow I think they must have loved me because they provided for me. Because they worked so hard. How many of you know you can only pass on what's inside of you? You can only pass on what you have. So what happens is that a lot of us have been wounded and so we experience pain and pain seeks pleasure. So the enemy loves wounded Christians because very often wounded Christians will run to a counterfeit, will run somewhere to experience some form of pleasure because of the pain. And so there's what we call the wound of rejection or the root of rejection, which many people have experienced. But after a while, that wound becomes a stronghold. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a pattern of belief. It's a pattern of belief. It's a process of thinking. It, and a stronghold, strongholds are arguments that exalt themselves above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The strongholds in our minds determine how we react to situations and how we respond to situations. The strongholds in our mind are the ones that determine our defense mechanisms. So stage one, you're wounded. Stage two, a stronghold develops. And stage three, the stronghold attracts a demonic spirit of rejection. And when, when that spirit attaches itself to you, you find that those feelings of rejection become even deeper and more irrational. 
And that's why you find sometimes someone who looks so successful, so popular, so loved by everyone, can take their own life. And you're like, but, but you're so popular, you're so successful, you have what everyone else is jealous about. Why did you take your life? That's what a spirit of rejection would do. How many of you have ever experienced crowded loneliness? Crowded loneliness, where everyone is around you. You've got so many friends around you, but you feel so lonely in that space. I was counseling someone recently, and this person was saying, you know what, I was in a room full of my friends, full of people, and I was crying, but no one even noticed. Crowded loneliness. It starts off as a wound of rejection. It becomes a stronghold of rejection. And ultimately, a spirit of rejection attaches itself to you. And all sorts of things happen as a result of that. How many of you can identify with what I'm talking about? I still remember years ago in the 90s at university, I still remember being in a prayer meeting and the pastor was very prophetic, said to me, you've believed a demonically inspired lie that you will always be looking from the outside in. He said to me, you've believed a demonically inspired lie that you will always be looking from the outside in. And I could identify with that because I was, you know, I was very popular with my friends, within my circle of friends, girls and guys, amen. All right, I was a well-liked person because, because I, I think I'm a nice person. You know, I was that type of person. I was there for people, amen, dealing with their issues for them. But somehow, in my mind, the way I saw myself, I would always see myself as an outsider observing. Amen? How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you have a wound of rejection in your life, you'll project it onto the people around you. That's why so many people will come to church and we like them, but they will leave just saying those people are not friendly, those people are not friendly. But the problem isn't the people. The problem is the root of rejection, the wound of rejection. So wherever you go, you'll project your rejection onto everyone else around you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And this is the enemy's strategy against us. But what I love about God is that God designed family so that children will know that they are loved and accepted. That's one of the most important things to impart to your children. Love and acceptance. A strong sense of belonging that is not based on performance. That is not based on we'll only give you a birthday present if you do academically better than your brother or your sister. Amen? It's not based on performance. You see what happens is when a little baby is still a little baby, the baby will cry if the mother is not there. Not so? Then the mom comes or the dad comes and they give that child some nurture and the child is swaddled and the child begins to feel secure and stops crying. Not so? And then what happens when mom and dad leave the room? The child sees it as mom and dad don't exist anymore. That's how a little baby interprets it. Mom and dad don't exist anymore. They've disappeared. Then mom and dad, then the child starts crying. Mom and dad come back again comfort the baby not so until developmentally that little baby reaches a stage that we call emotional object constancy emotional object constancy that's where they carry the love of mom and dad and go 
into the world with that sense of love and that sense of acceptance. That's why if you look in my book on self-esteem, I talk about six pillars of self-esteem and one of them is self-acceptance. And when you're strong on self-acceptance, guess what? You've got a bulletproof self-image, haven't you? With regards to self-acceptance, you can enter a group confidently. People can criticize you, they can say what they want, but you still feel the strong sense of acceptance because of emotional object constancy. Now there's something known as spiritual object constancy. That's where Jesus says, abide in my love. Some translations say, remain in my love. Abide in my love. Isn't that so powerful? What does that mean? It means that if you go into hostile territory, if you go into hostile environments, you are still confident because you know you're accepted by Father. Amen? Now, there are consequences to not experiencing emotional object constancy. There are consequences to that, and we're going to talk about them today. But the first thing I want to highlight to you is that you cannot repent of a demon. So if there's a spirit of rejection affecting your life, you cannot repent of a demon. You can't just say, oh Lord, forgive me for believing these lies. Just forgive me, Lord. Demons have to be cast out. Are you following? You cannot repent of a demon. Repentance will not be enough to deal with demonic force. Some people think, well, just because I've repented of that bad attitude, then the demon goes. But you have to expel the demon. Neither can you repent of a wound. If you are wounded in a particular area, you can't repent of a wound. A demon has to be cast out and a wound must be healed. A demon has to be what? Cast out and a wound must be healed. And next week we'll talk about how to heal the wound of rejection. We'll be talking about that next week. So... Start off, I want to talk about God's acceptance. God's acceptance of you. First thing is, God's acceptance is bigger than your rejection. You might have been rejected by father or mother, by class teacher, by siblings, by pastors. But God's acceptance of you is bigger than the rejection that you've experienced. In the book of Psalms, verse 27, Psalms chapter 27, verse 10, book of Psalms 27, verse 10, it says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Some translations say, the Lord will receive me. And sometimes when you've experienced that wound from a father or for a mother, it's so easy to think you're the only one who's been through this. But we see King David saying this. Imagine how he felt when Samuel the prophet was coming and looking for the next king to anoint. And he wasn't even on the selection list. Imagine the type of rejection he would have felt then. I wonder what David meant also when he said that I was conceived in iniquity. Some people think that maybe his mom was someone on the side. They're different theories. But the point is, he experienced some form of rejection from both his father and his mother. And yet he said, then the Lord will take care of me. You see, many people, many of you here have experienced the father wound or the mother wound. But my question to you is, are you saying the alternative? That the Lord will take care of me. I will run to God as my strongholds and nothing else. 
You see, the enemy's agenda is for you to be wounded so that you run to a counterfeit. I'm going to talk about the counterfeits this morning. And I want to expose those counterfeits so that we can identify them, confess them, renounce them, and repent of them. Amen? That's the pathway to freedom. And the enemy hates being exposed. We want to identify them, confess them, renounce them, repent of them. That's the journey to freedom. Psalm 27 verses 1 to 5. Look how David ran to God as his fortress. When you have a revelation that God accepts you, you run to him as your fortress. That first song we sang that there's no one else like the Lord. I have found no one else like the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Those of you struggling with fear, just meditate on this particular passage of scripture. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. That's when God is your fortress. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Anyone ever had that? Wicked people coming to eat up your flesh. Right? To eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes. They stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Is that your one thing? Is that your one thing that you are desperate for? Where if I say to you, what do you want out of this life? Is God your stronghold to that extent? You might have been rejected by people, but can you run to him who accepts you? One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Isn't that powerful? But how many of you know that you have to run to him? You have to go to that place as a place of refuge and nowhere else. Romans 15 verse 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. You know that one of the results of being rejected is we tend to reject others. But the Bible here is saying, accept one another. Why? In the same way that Christ has accepted you. Say to the person next to you and say it like you believe that Christ has accepted me. Warts and all. Okay, some of you were not saying it with that much enthusiasm. Does everyone know what a wart is? Okay. Okay, say boils and all. Pimples and all. Right? Acne and all. Right? With all my issues, he has accepted me. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom 
I am the worst. Maybe you think you're the worst sinner in your family because of your past. Maybe you think you're the worst sinner in your neighborhood because of your past. But Paul the Apostle was able to actually make this statement that he was the worst of sinners, but Christ came into the world to save sinners. That was his agenda. He said, you are top of the list on God's agenda. Isn't that powerful? God didn't have to twist your arms. You didn't have to twist God's arms for him to accept you. It was his pleasure and his delight. I'm going to show you that in scripture just now. Psalm, the book of Psalms, 139 verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Say to the person next to you, I was wonderfully made. So why do you try and change how you look? The Bible says here, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what that word fearful means? That word fearfully, it means carefully, with much thought. When God designed you, he was thinking, what is Cindy's purpose? What is Kwila's purpose? What is Jimmy's purpose? Amen? He was thinking about that and he was designing you carefully, fearfully, with your purpose in mind. Isn't that powerful? So why do we want to change who we are when God has wired and designed us that way? And King David is praising God because of this. It's a source of praise. Lord, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Now you might have thought, this guy must be arrogant. How can you do that? Imagine like you're in a prayer meeting. Oh Lord, I thank you for how you made me. Oh, your works are wonderful, Lord. Oh, Lord, when I check myself out, oh Lord, your works are so wonderful. Woo! Check this out. Thank you, Lord. And you begin to praise. Imagine that. That's exactly what he's saying here. He says, your works are wonderful. Do you know the demonically inspired lies that we believe? Sometimes you think it's your own thought, but it could be the thought of the enemy. Because when you've been rejected in life, you end up having a twisted view of reality. And the enemy comes in with a lie that says, this is the standard of beauty. This is what beauty must look like. And you fall short of that. Right? The enemy will come in and will say, this is success. No, success looks like this. And oh, you're falling short. So that you're wounded on a daily basis as you compare yourself with other people. Amen? There's a particular person I was coaching once and um, she, the person was a single person, single as an unmarried, and we were talking about weight and she just said, um, you know, she said, no, people like me, I'm catering for a different market. That's what she said, okay, because of her size, right? Sometimes we've got this thing where we just think of beauty in one particular way, but how many of you know that it changes in generations, doesn't it? Right? Remember the days when models were quite voluptuous, then there were the days when they were not. Then there were the days when they were anorexic. So what is beauty? What is beauty? Amen? I think beauty is in the, eye of the eyes of the beholders. You ever have it when guys say, my wife is the most beautiful person in the world. And you might be parked off there thinking, hey, okay. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that this guy has renewed his mind. <laughs> right? But we all have different tastes. And that's wonderful. So how many of you like jacaranda trees? Some people love them. The purple, the different colors and so on. That's wonderful. But some people don't. 
Even when it comes to taste of food. How many of you like seafood? Okay, I hate seafood, right? But I can get it. I know there's a whole market there. That's why there are those shops that serve prawns. and like, There's a whole lot of people who like them. I'm like, that's good for you. Amen? How many of you like asparagus? Okay, that's my wife's favorite, asparagus. But I'm hearing some guys going, ugh, ugh. Okay, so God has wired us differently and isn't it powerful that I praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Some of you only know that half well. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 to 6 says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms this is one of the most powerful scriptures of all time powerful scriptures who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ every for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love everyone say in love in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ watch this in accordance with his pleasure and will so many Christians think that God did what he did adopting us as sons and daughters just because of his will it was not just his will it was also his good pleasure in other words he gets excited about it he's excited about accepting you amen he rejoices about it. It was his pleasure and it was his good will. That's the nature of his acceptance. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. We didn't have to work for it. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Colossians 1 verse 21 to 22. Once you are alienated from God, some of you still feel like that. You feel alienated. But the Bible is saying, if you're in Christ Jesus, that's past tense. Once you were alienated from God and were, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has done what? He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from... Free from? Free from? How many of you have felt the accusation of the enemy this week? You are free from accusation. The Bible describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren. And he does it through people also. He does it through people. Sometimes he does it just through a thought you have. And you think it's your own thought. But it's a thought from the enemy. John 6 verse 37 says... All those the Father gives me will come to me. This is Jesus speaking. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. How many of you have come to Jesus? Come on, you're here at church because you want something of God. I'm assuming. I'm assuming, guys, you haven't just come because there's some girl you like, right? I'm sure you've come because you're, you're hungry for something from God. Amen? And Jesus here is saying that, Anyone who comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. How many of you have had a thought this week or even this morning as you're getting ready for church saying, this is not for me. Why am I doing this? Jesus won't accept someone like me. That thought was not from God. That thought was not from God. It was from another source. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 
to 35. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, say every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So people who say, ah no, Christianity is for white people. Like, okay, you obviously don't know your history very well. But anyway, Christianity is for white, for Christianity is from the West. No, the Bible here says, God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Amen? So this is God's truth concerning his acceptance of us. And I want to encourage you to have that spiritual object constancy where you carry this truth wherever you go. Because the reality is that in this life, we experience rejection. Amen? So I want to show you the impact that rejection has on us. And we want to expose the enemy this morning. And as you see what your behavior is like as a result of the rejection you've experienced, I want to encourage you to confess it, to renounce it, to repent of it. Amen? And you will be free. Now, all of these flesh patterns that I'm going to highlight to you are things that are not in line with God's truth. And it's important to see that when behavior is not based on truth, when it's based on false belief, the fruit will always be bad. The fruit will always be bad. Generally speaking, you'll see different categories of rejection that I'm going to highlight to you. The behavior that out, is an outworking of the spirit of rejection or the stronghold of rejection or the wound of rejection. You'll see the behavior noted down. Noted down. Because it's very subtle. Very often you see you have passive dealings with rejection, passive outworking of rejection, and then you have aggressive outworkings of rejection. And very often the passive ones are very subtle. The aggressive ones, very often we don't think the root is actually rejection. How many of you know that someone can be angry, an angry person, intimidating everyone, but it stems from a root of rejection? Amen? One of the sources of anger is actually fear of rejection. Sometimes people's mindset is, I will attack before I can be hurt. I'll attack you before you accuse me. I'll keep everyone out by being hostile purposefully in case they come in and hurt me and wound me. Because you associate intimacy with wounding. Well, it's one of the things that happens. You'll find with a lot of people who've experienced abuse in their lives, they have a stronghold where they end up associating intimacy or closeness with someone. They associate that with hurt. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So you'll find that sometimes they get into a relationship and the person feels emotionally abused. Because it's like you seem to be wanting to be in this relationship with me. But as we get closer, you then run away. Do you want to be in or out? And very often people like that end up sabotaging potentially good relationships because they associate intimacy with pain. Amen? 
so number one the first behavior or attitude I want to deal with is constant feeling of abandonment and remember this is progressive it could just be the wound of rejection could be a stronghold of rejection or it could actually be a spirit of rejection in operation do you have that constant feeling of abandonment what does that look like sometimes it's the fear of losing a loved one through death where you're always just feeling like hey you know what I think my husband will die something will go wrong you're happily married but your mindset is there must be a catch so I think my husband will die or I think my wife will die and very often when we minister to people like that you can see there's a root of abandonment in their lives that needs to be broken sometimes the way this manifests is the fear of being cheated on I mean if you know what I'm talking about you're there happily married or in a relationship and it's going well but you've just got this fear that what if my husband what if my wife cheats on me how will I cope sometimes it manifests through anger as I've said where you put up a shield of anger as a defense mechanism this is all to do with constant feelings of abandonment sometimes you constantly feel misunderstood you know those people where they just feel misunderstood in general so they're always explaining themselves I just want to make sure you really understand no I just want to make and then they become controlling in relationship with people because they're trying to control the other person's view of them because if this person misunderstands me they might reject me so let me make sure that everyone gets me because I never feel understood I was counseling someone the other day and they were just saying that's how I feel Paul with my wife she just doesn't get me and it's extre an extremely painful feeling so that's the first one constantly feeling those feelings of abandonment your husband goes on a business trip you're the one who's more afraid than your kids your kids are all happy and fine but you're the one who's terrified I've been abandoned I've been abandoned but they're just going for two days on a business trip now, this is serious this is what people go through but can you see how it's based on a lie a lie that came through a wound number two addictions and substance abuse I said to you last week when you see someone who's addicted to something or abusing a particular substance don't just focus on the branch the branch is the behavior it's what they're doing but very often there's the trunk of the tree and that's the root and you find that when people have been wounded in life they will run to another stronghold very often they'll go to the counterfeits and you speak to them and you say well what's the story I remember ministering to someone who had a problem with some form of substance abuse and I say when do you fall for it and I say when I feel lonely when I feel inadequate well let's deal with that root amen you see instead of running to the Prince of Peace we practice idolatry what is idolatry it's anything you run to when you're supposed to go to God when you replace God for that particular with that particular thing my question to you is where are you running to where are you running to you see people the mindset is the bottle won't reject me oh that's scotch oh, oh it just won't reject me oh I love it oh a common form of addiction is masturbation and gambling and very often they stem out of rejection 
getting very quiet in this church. I think I must be scratching where it's itching. Like I said at Ignite, I'm not going to single people out and call you up. Does anyone want um, deliverance from this particular spirit? No. Okay. You see, it's easy to judge other people, but we must realize that the pain can be so severe, and I said to you before that the pain will seek pleasure. Proverbs 15 verse 13 says, A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. And there are a lot of people running around with a broken spirit, a broken heart. Proverbs 17 verse 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Sometimes that comes through in the form of arthritis. Okay. Proverbs 18 verse 14. The spirit of a man can, can endure his sickness. But a broken spirit who can bear. Number three, unbelief. Very often unbelief actually comes from the spirit of rejection. When the people who were supposed to show us love didn't do so, then our tendency is, you know what, my father didn't come through when it came to promises and keeping his word. And that shaped my view of God the Father. Many people will say that. And they're like, why am I supposed to believe God the Father then? You know what Paul, someone else I was counseling recently said, I can believe God for other people, on behalf of other people. But when it comes to me, uh-uh, I kind of feel like, uh-uh, it's, some things are not for me. How many of you can identify that with that? You can minister effectively to other people. Yes, God will come through for you, but hey, with people like me, uh-uh, it won't happen. Very often that's a sign of rejection. Someone else I was speaking to recently, they said, Paul, I've come to a point where I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know if God is really out there. I'm talking about someone who's been through Bible school, talking about someone who's ministered effectively. And they're just saying, I'm just wondering, is all of this a waste of time? Like, will we just close our eyes and then it's just lights out? There's nothing. Then the person said to me, but it encourages me when I see a flower. I just see a flower and think it's so beautiful. God must have created this. And it's a battle this person is going through where to pray against unbelief. Let me just say something to you. Very often unbelief will come in the form of a demonic spirit to get you to a place where you start off by questioning God's promises over your life. You end up with a stronghold that has said, you know what, if God is really there, why don't I have a job? How many feel that there are many people who don't have jobs? If all the people in this country didn't have jobs, if all of them began to question whether God actually exists, we'll have a problem. We have a nation that's very unchristian. Amen. The enemy wants us to doubt the promises of God. I want to encourage you to believe. Look at how the word of God talks about it. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 to 13 says, Beware brethren, lest there be in any of you, what does it call it? An evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It starts off as unbelief, but that unbelief causes you to actually depart from the living God. But exhort one another daily. That's why we need to be encouraging each other. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's so much we can talk about with regards to that. But guard your heart that you don't form an evil heart of unbelief. 
Amen? Often you end up feeling very insignificant and inferior. When people try to show you otherwise, you still interpret it through that particular lens of unbelief. Ladies, if you've been ill-treated growing up and your self-image is not healthy, what happens? A guy comes up to you and says, that's a stunning outfit you've got. Where did you get it from? In your mind, instead of thinking, oh, I think I'm probably quite attractive. Thank you, Lord. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? Instead of you thinking that way, what do you then think? I am sure he just wants something from me. I'm sure he says that to all the girls. Amen? Some of you with your spouses, you've become like that. My husband is saying this and this to me. Yeah, I'm sure he's just saying it because he's got an agenda. We all know what that agenda tends to be. But that's a, that can be a stronghold. Instead of actually saying, maybe my husband does find me attractive. I know some women will say, if their husbands compliment them, some women will say, ah, but you're biased. You're biased. It's just, you're just biased. Unbelief. You often have strong thoughts of self-hatred. How many of you know that the isolated self is the bad self? When you feel rejected and isolated and excluded, any form of exclusion, very often we interpret that as a bad self. I remember coaching a particular person in a particular bank and they said, Paul, we did certain personality tests and I was the only one in this corner. Everyone else in this new department that I'm working in is all, is all the same type of person and they're all there and I'm here. And they saw that, the different self as the bad self. How many of you sometimes feel like that? And I said to this individual, I said, maybe that's why they hired you. Maybe they didn't want everyone to be all the same. And after a while, this individual discovered that that was actually true. They actually liked the fact that this person was different. Number four, addictive relationships. Addictive relationships. What's an addictive relationship? This is where you think you love the person, but the truer statement is that you need the person. You know when people get addicted to someone else? When they get addicted to someone else. I need you in my life to boost me. I need you in my life to boost my self-image. I don't think I'm worth much. So I'm now addicted to you to tell me how wonderful I am, how beautiful I am, that I can make it in this life. And when you don't, the claws come out. Amen? And it happens when people have experienced deep rejection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, it says, For though I'm free of all, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul the Apostle was stating that he's free of all people. I love that statement. I'm free. In other words, my only obligation is to love I'm free from the need of praise from you. I'm free from the need of recognition from you. I'm free from the need of appreciation from you. Because the Bible tells me that in Christ I am complete. I have all things from Christ. And because I'm continuously running to Christ as my strong tower, as my fortress, I'm so full of Christ. I'm not addicted 
to recognition from you. Amen? When you see yourself addicted to other people, you end up bent toward man instead of straightened toward God. And you end up addicted to their approval. Amen? These are things God wants us to identify, to renounce, and to repent from. If we want to walk a life where we are free from all. Addictive relationships are characterized by emotional abuse and control. I have to control you in order to get you to say all the nice stuff about me that I need you to say. Amen? You end up controlling circumstances in your relationships with people. So let me just make sure I, my husband doesn't get upset. How can we make sure that they're not upset? Because if they're upset with me, that's devastating. Because I need them to always be happy. So you end up very codependent with the people that you're relating to. I'm hoping you can identify with some of these things. We want to expose them and want to expel them from our lives. John 5 verse 41 to 44. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you. That you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? That's a very powerful passage of scripture there. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't receive glory from the one and only Lord how can you believe you see believing in God is not just believing that he exists believing in God is believing that he is God in other words he's the source of true honor he's the source of identity he's God our father A common form of addictive relationships is joining a cult or a subculture. You often find people will end up going into maybe gays and lesbians, so-called gays and lesbian subgroups, because they feel accepted there. Others will end up going into some cult where there's some heresies being preached because they feel accepted there. And after a while, they end up believing what those people believe. But the entry point was the need for acceptance. Number five, criticism and hypersensitivity. You find that the rejected person tends to criticize a lot. They'll say, yeah, because these people, they don't love me enough. These people, they don't do this enough. My wife doesn't do this. And it's a form of protesting, isn't it? And sometimes they are hypersensitive to criticism. So if you just say, let's just tweak this and let's just tweak that. They see it as, I'm all bad and I'm a terrible person and I'm going to be rejected as a result of this. You end up exaggerating the probability of being rejected. A small mistake can be seen as the cause of abandonment. Ask yourself, if you make one mistake and your boss comes and says, can we just tweak this? Or your boss takes something back that he had given you and has delegated you. How devastating is it for you? Do you see it as, I'm a failure in this life? Or do you know that Father God still accepts me? And this person is just trying to help me to improve. 
A good test of rejection is watching how do I receive feedback? Yes, some people, when they're given feedback, they'll exaggerate the nature of the feedback. They'll say, you came down on me like a ton of bricks, and then you just shouted at me and you screamed. Another person might be like, uh, no, we were just saying, let's just tweak this. How do you hear it? Often you are offended or embarrassed when you're corrected or disciplined. You know, that's linked to the orphan spirit. You'll find that people who carry the orphan spirit, very often they'll come and they want the love, they want the acceptance, but the moment you bring correction to their lives, they run away. You see it also in church settings. The moment a relationship becomes uncomfortable and the person sees that they're not all that and they've got some mistakes in their lives and you try and speak to them and speak into their lives, they disappear. Be careful of that. That's the orphan spirit. A lot of people are bound by that. God says that I will place the solitary into families. And the local church is a family. And how many of you know that in a family there's discipline? In a family you get corrected. Ask yourself, what do you do when you're corrected? Do you run away or do you work through the difficult times? Number six, self-pity. Self-pity. There's a common reaction to rejection. And it's one of the quickest ways that demons get attached to someone. Self-pity. Right? You see your situation as all bad and other people's situations as all good. Watch out for that. Number seven. The performance mentality to maintain relationships. I've shared this with you before, but I remember we had a friend at Vasti and this person would always do gifts for people, give them cards, do nice things. And the shrink in me began to function. And I remember one day saying to this person, why do you always do this for people? And she said, I feel like I have to do this to maintain my relationships. That if I stop doing favors for people, they will reject me. I mean, if you know that there was someone who was not whole when it came to acceptance, that I'm, I'm accepted for who I am. I don't have to keep performing. Some of you are in that space where you can't survive in a church without having to perform something. Where you feel like, I haven't done this yet or I haven't done that yet, so I'm sure they're upset with me. Ask yourself, is that me or is it not? Unfortunately, these people end up having love with a hook. You know what love with a hook is? Whenever you do things for people, it's debt-based. What we call debt-based relationships. You owe me one. You owe me something. You'll do a favor for someone hoping that they recognize you more. Hoping that they love you more. Hoping that you enter into that social circle. That becomes the motive of the behavior. It all stems from rejection. Then you end up with a lot of disappointment. I mean, if you know that when you have unrequited love, love that is not returned, you end up disappointed. Because I was expecting this from them. This level of recognition, this level of appreciation, this level of acceptance into the in-group. But people will always fall short. And what, what's your reaction? I'm disappointed with all these people. And what does it result in? I'll distance myself even more because I've been rejected yet again. How many of you know it sometimes manifests in your parenting style? 
where you want to be popular and accepted by your children. Come on. You want to be popular and accepted by your children. And so you do things, performing in order to be accepted. In Luke chapter 6, verse 34 to 36, it says, And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them, expecting nothing in return. What would happen to our church life if everything we did, we weren't expecting anything in return? If I did a favor for someone, I'm not expecting more recognition. I'm not expecting you to get up and say, Paul is such a nice guy. I'm not expecting anything. Now watch this. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful. Say to the person next to you, be kind to the ungrateful. That's God's heart. He's kind to the ungrateful. He doesn't stop doing things because he feels like, oh, will this person appreciate me? Ah, this one. They won't appreciate. Oh, I'm not going to do it. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Isn't that powerful? All right. Number eight, self-sufficiency. When you've been rejected in your life, very often the result is self-sufficiency. Now, how many of you know that the mark of maturity is seen in interdependence, not independence? Yeah? When a child is young, they're dependent. Mommy, mommy, I need milk. Okay, usually at that age, they can't really talk. They just cry. Ah, they're dependent, right? Later on, mommy, mommy, wipe my... Okay. Uh, later on, it's other things, right? They're dependent. That's not mature. When they become teenagers or early teens, what's the mindset? No, I can do it myself. Leave me alone. That's not mature. The nature of that independence is not a sign of maturity. And a lot of people who've been rejected in their lives, they slip into self-sufficiency. How many of you find it difficult asking for help? Ask yourself where it comes from. What was the strongholds that developed in your mind where there's a sense of shame if you need help? Just think about it. It's based on a lie. Because maturity is seen in interdependence. When I could say, guys, I need your help on this. But I can also say, let me help you on that. Does that make sense? Number nine, isolation. Isolation. Isolation is where you end up hiding from love. Where it's safer for me to just stay at home than try to socialize with other people because I might experience rejection. If you study social phobia or even shyness, a lot of people who are shy, it's safer for me to just keep quiet and not make any comments. It's much safer. Because if I speak out, there's a risk of being embarrassed. So let me isolate myself. And we isolate ourselves verbally. We isolate ourselves physically. Some of you who experience stage fright, where you just dread getting up and speaking in front of people, very often it's a root of rejection. You're afraid of embarrassment if you make a mistake. But we all make mistakes. And it's not like we're rejected just because we made one or two mistakes. But it's a stronghold in your mind and it's become irrational. There's some people out there who will say, I will only aim to do something if I'm guaranteed success. If I'm not sure that it will be successful, I would rather not do it. There are a lot of people who are wired that way. 
And the ultimate fear there is often the fear of rejection. It's not just the fear of failure. Often what people call the fear of failure is actually the fear of blame, the fear of embarrassment, the fear of being mocked, ultimately the fear of rejection. People reject me because I didn't get 100%. I only got 95%. But that's a lie that you believed. And we want to expose those lies and experience healing. Amen? All right. So you isolate yourself. Sometimes I speak to people and I say, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Oh, I see myself in that corner office, Pastor. Oh, have you started socializing with those people at that level in your organization? Eh, no, they're at another level. I've got my boys. You've just shown me that you'll never get there. Why? You're isolating yourself from that environment. You're afraid of rejection, particularly from authority figures. And often it stems from rejection from the father wound. Rejection from the father causing the father wound. You end up hiding away from people who could be mentoring you today. You sabotage your relationships. Number 10, protesting behavior. Protesting behavior. This is where you see a woman criticizing her husband saying, you're back late. You're 10 minutes late. You haven't done this for the kids. You haven't done that. You haven't done this. Yet if she made herself vulnerable, her real heart cry is, Honey, I'm missing you. Honey, I feel like we're just like two ships passing each other by. Honey, I feel like we need more couch time. Honey, I'm longing for your touch. But you see, when you've experienced rejection, you will hide. You will hide through protesting. You'll hide through accusing. Because it's very difficult to make yourself vulnerable and be hurt again. Amen? One of the things we have to learn is not just to love, but to love again. Especially if you've been hurt. Say to the person next to you, it's okay to be weak. Number 11, lies that we believe. Lies that we believe. I will always be looking from the outside in. That's the lie I believed. So very often, my mindset was, I'm an outsider. I'm observing what these guys are doing. I was friends with everyone. People would come. People would always be visiting me. But I didn't feel like I was really in. Amen? I didn't feel like I was really in. I would always be the guy observing from the outside. That was my mindset. Everyone else saw me as in. I didn't see myself as in. Some of you feel like that. Even for church here. Some of you who are key people here. Who we see are key people. I remember one particular guy before the person left the church felt like they needed to leave. It was quite sudden. And I remember thinking to myself, but this is one of the people I had earmarked. I was, you know when you pray for people? You know when you're really like, oh, you know what? I, I, this guy, who I love what I'm seeing in this person. But on the other side, the person might not feel that. Amen? That's the root of rejection. That's what it does. Number 12, attention-seeking behavior. You know those people who do things just for the attention? Come on, we all have them in our circle of friends, don't we? I remember at a particular camp years ago, praying for a guy who was leading a Christian group at his school. He was the leader of that Christian group. It was actually a school that I had been to. And this guy was leading a revival there. But he confessed and he said, I've got a problem. Or oh, what's your problem? I'm a compulsive liar. 
And I said, what do you lie about? Then he says, well, when we've gone on holiday and so on, and it's holiday time, etc., or a free weekend, because it was a boarding school. I make up stories when I get back to school. I make up stories and I tell people that I was doing this and I was doing that. Some of you were like that. I was doing this and I was doing that. Then I said to him, why do you do that? And he said, to be accepted, to be included. Attention-seeking behavior. Number 13, comparisons. Very often if you're a middle child or you've got a sibling slightly older than you, when you are growing up, what do you do? They're always better than you, stronger than you, faster than you. They seem to be cleverer. And you didn't interpret it as a child. You didn't interpret it as, it's because they are older. You saw it as, there must be something wrong with me. And since then, you've lived the rest of your life playing catch up. Always feeling like, how come? How come they're getting this? How come? But what about me? It's a mindset that developed from childhood. Always looking over your shoulder. Number 14, the hero sim- syndrome. The hero syndrome. This is the mindset that basically says, I have to maintain my hero status in order to be accepted. I must always get distinctions for everything. I must be the one who gets that six digit salary. I don't know if it's six digit in this country. Americans say six digit. Right? I must be the one who's always on top. And that's because very often if you've come from a dysfunctional family, you become the source of a healthy self-esteem for the family. And they will have issues, but they'll always say, but look at our blue-eyed boy. Oh, look how he's doing. But the family has got issues. And so you grow up with the mindset of, I must keep on performing because I have to do it. For my family. And very often heroes are very difficult to minister to. Because on the outside everything seems perfect. But they can't maintain good relationships very often. Right? They can't be weak. And when you can't make yourself vulnerable, you can't attain emotional intimacy with another person. If you are a hero this morning, just give up. Give up. There's a place of giving up. Amen. There are things we can give up where we can say, guys, you know what? I ain't all that. I actually sometimes struggle with anxiety. I sometimes struggle with perfectionism. I sometimes struggle maintaining a good relationship. I sometimes struggle with detachment. Whatever your issue is, it's okay to be weak. And you'll notice that the people around you will probably show you even more love. Sometimes we believe a lie that I have to be perfect to be accepted. Don't. You know why? The enemy wants to kill you. And you find that very often these people, when they're in their 40s, what happens? Nervous breakdown. Stress-related diseases. It's not sustainable. Number 15. Permissive and placating behavior in your relationships you see this the person becomes a manager at work but they can't discipline their workers they can't discipline their staff because they're so sensitive about it that if i tell this person that they've done the wrong thing the person will feel rejected but all you're doing is you're projecting your fear of rejection onto them you see it happening when people say i didn't want to tell you this because i didn't want to hurt you 
but your real fear was I didn't want you to misunderstand me and think I'm this ugly monster and you end up rejecting me so my rejection was the real issue amen then finally self-rejection self-rejection committing suicide is an extreme form of self-rejection for many people what happens is they escape into a fantasy where they give themselves another identity I was counseling someone the other day and they were saying that they were saying Paul I actually give myself another identity where I imagine I've got this other family and I'm this other person that's the enemy's agenda ultimately it ends up with schizophrenia the enemy's agenda is for you to be completely double-souled where you don't embrace your true self but you embrace something else and so one day you're like this other day you've escaped into that other person these are behaviors associated with this root of rejection the wound of rejection and the stronghold of rejection and sometimes the spirit of rejection next week i'll talk about sources of rejection and how to actually be healed from rejection amen